there was a, uh, a busker in a street and he's asked a woman for some money. She's dug into her purse and then handed him a $1 coin. And as she did, she's admonished him. She's got right up close and personal in his face and she says, I'll give you a dollar, not because you deserve it, but because it pleases me. Thank you, ma'am, replied the busker. But while you're at it, why not make it 10 bucks and thoroughly enjoy yourself? (laughs) Ask most pastors uh, what they don't want to preach about, and money generally will top their list. We're more concerned about not giving people, and in particular visitors, the impression that the church exists just to get your money. And in my own case, I rarely talk about money as a service, uh, as, a, as a message in the service. But I also think that in not doing that, we can do a disservice and not explain the benefits and the blessing that comes when we are generous with what we have. So this morning, um, I'm going to continue almost like with a theme that I feel like God's got on my heart at the moment, and that is the, a changed life that makes a difference. Because our lives have been changed, therefore there is a difference. I'm not who I used to be, nor who am I who I am going to be, but I'm in the process of change. And with that change, there is a noticeable difference about how we live life. And this morning, I, I just want to continue in understanding and helping us to understand some of the things that can happen because our lives have been changed. And I think that one of the things I want to talk to you this morning about is that people whose lives have been changed are generous. We are generous. We are a generous people. See, getting a handle on giving and learning to be good stewards of all our resources, and I'm not talking just about money but also about our time, our talents, and our treasure is a huge part of what spiritual maturity for a Christian is all about. Having wrong attitudes about money can mess up our life's priorities. It can ruin marriages. It can make our children greedy and materialistic. And wrong attitudes about money can actually hinder the fulfillment of a church's mission. And it can also rob us of one of the greatest joys of our Christian life. And yes, I did say the joys of our Christian life. See, having the right attitude about giving and being generous actually releases joy in our lives. There's a release of joy when we are generous and we give to other people around about. When we experience the joy of giving, it actually tells us that we've got this thing about the stewardship of our finances figured out. We also can understand that we've got a right attitude about our giving when we don't give because we're afraid of what other people might think if we don't give or if we we, do that or because we want to look good in everybody else's eyes. Or if, if we want to think that our money and our giving actually controls at some level the church. So when we don't do those things, when we don't give because of those reasons, it tells us that we've got this thing about the stewardship of our finances. It's, it's, we're on the way. We're on the journey of, of having all of that figured out. 
See, a, a changed life that makes a difference is a life that has discovered the joy of giving. See, because I believe that giving is liberating. It's faith-building, and it can be fun. Let, let's, let's face it. The thing that we're going to be doing in a, in a gift-giving service coming up on the 2nd of December is that all of us here today are going to go out with a tag, with an, an age group and a gender written on it. Yes, we do talk about genders in church. There is male and female. God made them male and female. And it's okay to say that they were made male and female. Regardless of what they do in Tasmania. Or anywhere else like that. So we're going to go out. We're actually going to buy a gift for a child. And bless a child that may be living in a disadvantaged situation. Because we want to release joy. We want to release joy out of our life and bring joy to the, to the life of a child. There's many other reasons we could give and be generous this morning. So as we dive into our passage today, I want to help us to see four truths that a changed life can make a difference in, in our giving, through our giving this morning. And the text that I'm going to be using is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 15, and I'm reading out of the NIV uh, translation, and this is what it says. <clears throat> me, me, me. And now, brothers and sisters, so he's talking to the church. This is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love that we have uh, kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through you through his poverty might become rich. And, there is my, uh, the, and here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were, the not the, uh, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it will, uh, may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, your plenty will supply what you need, or their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written, the one who gathered much, did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. That's the text that we're going to be using as we walk this out this morning. See, the background of this particular passage is found in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 
1 to 4. And this is what it says out of the New Living Translation. Whilst I just quickly turn there. says this now regarding your question about uh, the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia on the first day of each week you should put each put aside a portion of the money you have earned don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once when I come I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you cho choose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem and if it seems appropriate for me to go along then uh, they can travel with me so the background of this passage is simply this that paul is telling the churches that he wants to take up an offering for the poor and the needy in the church in jerusalem that's the basis of 1 corinthians chapter 16 verses 1 to 4 that the churches in galatia they they want to participate and it seems that the church in corinth also promised to participate in this offering as well their response must have been enthusiastic and their promised offering was going to be a blessing because Paul uses the promise of the Corinthian church and what they were going to give to encourage the churches in Macedonia. So the, 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 Paul wants to take this offering up. He wants to take this offering, offering up for the, the church in Jerusalem. The ch Corinthian church say, man, we want to get on board with that. That sounds like a great idea. Let's do this. So then because of the size and, and the, the enthusiasm of the Corinthian church, Paul then used that enthusiasm to go about to the other church and say, hey guys, you need to listen about what the church in Corinth is doing. They're going to take up this great love offering. Would you guys like to get on board with that as well? So we, we see that that's the response of, of what's going on. It's such a great uh, outworking of it. But then we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the passage that we're going to uh, break apart a little bit this morning, that the Macedonian churches, the churches in Macedonia, they've given their gift to Paul. He's got this gift, okay? But the church in Corinth hasn't yet. So, from this passage, we're going to look at four truths that when it comes to, uh, about what it comes to our giving and being generous and the difference that a changed life can make in the lives of others. Are you ready for the truths? Are you ready for the truths? Okay, just checking. So number one, truth number one, okay? It's about giving our lives. It's not really about the money. Okay? So he says here, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 5, Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace God's given the Macedonian churches. One, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did uh, not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. God's not broke. All right, he's not skint. He's not like living on the edge of disaster when it comes to money. He isn't poor. And he's not playing games with us either and seeing if we'll give enough to prove our spiritual maturity either. We know 
that the good, the proper Christian thing for us to say is that every good thing in my life is a gift from God and it's really His and it's not mine, you know. But many of us actually find it hard to admit just how hard it really is to live like that. It takes a lot of grace to live out that particular way of living. And the Macedonian believers actually had that grace. Paul tells the church in Corinth about the believers in Macedonia receiving God's grace. He says in verse 1, we want you to know about the grace that God's given the Macedonian churches. See, there's two specific evidences of God's grace here. Number one is the grace of joy in the face of trials. The grace of joy in the face of trials. The grace of joy in the face of trials. Have you ever thought about that? In, in James, James says, count it all joy when you go through trials and tribulations. Count it all joy. I've been through some stuff. I can't remember the last time I was going through something that just devastated me or was so hurtful, or so, so, so hard to go through, and I've gone, oh, joy, oh, bliss, really. I'll be honest with you, I know some of the stuff that you're going through, and not once have I seen you do the same. I'm thinking, count it all joy, oh, yippee, oh, yippee. I haven't got enough money to pay the bill. Oh, yippee. Woo! Who's your mama? Count it all joy. Count it all joy. There's a reason you can count it as all joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith will cause your endurance to grow. And when you start to grow, let it grow so that in the end, in the long run, you'll be perfect and not needing anything. See, I think God has a different slant on trials than we do. The second great thing that you can see here from the specific evidence of God's grace is that the grace of generosity in the face of poverty. The grace of generosity in the face of poverty. They trusted God to supply all of their needs. It wasn't about how much they didn't have. It was about what they did with what they did have. That was a really good point. That was a really good point. It's not about what we don't have. It's about what we do with what we do have. There's a grace on that. Because you can be exceptionally generous, but live on the edge of poverty. In his commentary on 2 Corinthians chapter 8, there's a guy by the name of um, Philip Hughes. He says this about this particular passage. He says, The example of the Macedonians is a practical proof that true generosity is not the exclusive territory of those who enjoy financial prosperity. He says, The most genuine generosity is often displayed by those who have the least to give. 
Christian giving is not measured in terms of quantity, but sacrifice. And there's still some ringing in this, so thank you, so, uh, about sacrifice. It was in that way that Jesus could say that the widow who threw her two copper coins into the temple treasury gave more than all of the others. And in the case of the Macedonian Christians, their trials and poverty had uncovered and refined the precious metal of joy and generosity. Thus saith the Lord. See, Paul says the churches in Macedonia gave themselves. Proper stewardship always begins with God getting us. And as we learn to love him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, we find that putting our finances where our heart is comes naturally. It says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, when we give our lives to God, he gets all of us, including what we have. But when we think it's only about giving to God our money and nothing else, then we withhold parts of our lives because there's a lack of trust. And that's why God says you can't serve both God and money. And you look at the, the translations that you often use. The, the, the word money or mammon in the, in the Bibles has got a capital M. It's like a God to people. I don't know if you ever realize that, but when you look at the Bible and you see the capitals for use for, for people's names and stuff, it uses a capital M for mammon or money. It's like a God. You're going to serve one or the other. And this is what the Macedonian church, they said, you know what? For us, it's not about the money. It's about us giving ourselves to God first. That's why the truth that we need to understand is that God just wants our lives. Because when he gets our lives, he gets the rest of us too. Number two, truth number two is that giving is a grown-up thing. Giving is a grown-up thing. It's a, it's a thing of maturity. It's a thing about us handling it with maturity, looking at it from a point of view of maturity. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 6 to 9 says, So we urge Titus, since he'd earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone say that. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, okay? That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so you through his poverty might become rich. It's likely that the church in Corinth thought that they were a very proud church. In many ways that they had they thought that they had the best of everything. They thought that they had most incredible faith, that they could clearly articulate the gospel, that they have a deep knowledge of God, and that they believed that they were totally sincere, and, and they were staunch supporters of the ministry of Paul and, and the guys there. But you've not tested the waters of giving grace 
like you need to, he says. See, they believed that they were mature, but there's something important missing from their, gener- uh, their, their maturity, and that was generosity. They, 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 it was missing from what they were doing. They weren't generous. They said that they were, but in the actual doing of it, they'd fallen short. Does that make sense? Generosity is a commitment that we need to follow through on. Giving is a grown-up thing. It takes maturity to be generous and to think those things through. Maturity is modeled when we follow through on doing the tough things in life, the hard things, the the right things. We, We do what's right. We follow through on what we say. That's why, you know, sometimes today it's, it's so difficult to, to, to just see someone fulfill their word. We need contracts now. We need lawyers. We need, you know, people that are going to help us to keep our word. What's wrong with just keeping your word? What's wrong with just, us just saying, you know what, if, if I'm, I come up to Steve and... I just shake his hand. It's a done deal, buddy. And then that's all, you know, like they're multi-million dollar contracts in years gone by that were on the, on the strength of a handshake because the validity of a person's promise was in who they were and that if you knew that person, that they kept their word, that when they gave their word and they shook their hand, it was a done deal. It was like the signature on a contract. Oh, I understand that you know these days there's litigation and there's uh, all out clauses and stuff like that. Even we as a church, we're going down that road when joining with Hope Church to secure the safety of, and, of the assets and the property that we, we have here with Hope Church. We need to do that. We need to put into place proper mechanisms. But we also need to be able to follow through on keeping our word. We need to say that my, my word is my bond. If I say I'm going to do something, then I'm going to do it. Is this okay with you this morning? Because you're, you're looking at me like, really? You know, like, cool. <clears throat> Paul says, you made a beginning, now bring to completion this act of grace. This was the beginning of their love gift, their, their faith promise. And it was what they felt that God was leading them to give and that they told Paul that they would give. Paul wants to make it clear. Okay, He's given them an out. He says this isn't something that he commanded them to do now and he wasn't commanding it, them to do it right then. But he, he said it's important that you follow through on what you said that you're going to do. See, I'm con- convinced that you don't need me to tell you what to give, or to set a goal in your giving. What we all need to do is to be reminded of the value of giving and then urged to listen to and to obey the Lord as He leads us in our giving. Let God lead your church. Let God lead you when it comes time to giving. Don't be manipulated into giving more by a a wonderful-sounding talk by the person at the front or when you get phone calls from telemarketers on the, on the telephone and things like that, don't be manipulated into giving, but rather take the time and say, God, what would you want me to give? And then simply follow through. 
God can and has and will speak to us about our giving. And as your pastor, it's my job to encourage us all to simply follow through. Just to simply follow through on what God tells you to give. See, it, it demonstrates our sincerity. It demonstrates an authenticity about our faith that we're not just saying, oh, look, you know, you hear about someone who's sick, oh, I'll, I'll pray for you. And then you just walk away and you never pray for them. It's actually saying, if I say that I'm going to pray for you, I pray for you. I pray for you. If I say that I'm going to try and come and visit you, I'll try and come and visit you. If I say I'm going to come and visit you, I'll visit you. We've just got to follow through on what God's asking us to do. See, we say a lot of things, but the proof is in what we do, not what we say. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. The proof is what, in what we say is in the doing. Does that make sense? It shows that we understand the self-giving example of Jesus. See, I love this about Paul. See, Paul, when it's time for him to encourage the Corinthian church to do what they said that they would do, he hasn't suddenly turned and made a, a personal example of sacrificial giving out of his own life. He, he hasn't then pointed to himself or to another church about giving. Paul goes right to the source of giving grace and reminds them that the example of being willing to sacrifice for others comes from Jesus himself. What did Jesus have? Everything. What did Jesus need? Nothing. What did Jesus give, give up? Everything. It says in Philippians 2 verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus, he walked around without a home or even a bed. He, he lived in humility and ultimately laid down his life so that we would be forgiven of our sins and inherit heaven as our home. See, giving, being generous is who we are, and we can be generous because of Jesus. He gave. He's our example. Our maturity is seen in why we give, what we give, when we give, and how we give. That's why giving is a grown-up thing. It takes maturity to follow through on what we say. How many times I ever ask my kids to clean up their rooms? I'm going to clean up my room this afternoon. If I had a dollar for every time they said that. <laughs> let's just, let's do what we say, church. The third truth. Truth number three is that giving is relational. Giving's a, a relational thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 10 to 12 says, Here's my advice about what's best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager, eager willingness to do it will be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he doesn't have. There's no doubt about it, the Corinthian church felt led to give. They were the first ones to express the desire and to, to participate in this particular offering. And Paul's 
practical advice is simple. Just, just make sure you do what you believe God wanted you to do. See, this is what I've discovered about giving. Giving isn't about formulas. Although, I think that a natural standard and a starting point for us would be 10%. That's what the Bible teaches, so there you go, it's out there. And also, what I've discovered about giving is that giving isn't about putting something in the offering bucket every time it goes past. See, giving is learning and listening and then obeying what God tells us to do. It's between us and God. It's not between me and you. It's between you and God. That's why giving is relational. See, our giving is relational. It's because of Jesus that we give. It's because of Jesus that we give. It focuses on what we have, not on what we lack. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he doesn't have. So every time we give when God tells us to give, whether it's $10,000 or it's $1, it's an acceptable gift because we've simply followed what God told us to do. It's apparent in the text that one of the explanations coming from the church in Corinth about why they hadn't given their gift yet was because they weren't able to give a gift that was as significant as they wanted to. In other words, they made it about what they didn't have rather than what they did have. And sometimes that stops us from actually the whole process of giving. No one's you know, like saying, that, oh, you should never feel like you want to give more. Well, we all want to give more. But if we don't because we haven't got them more than what we have got, it's going to be no, no good anyway. It's going to be like dust in our pockets. Hello, church. You all right? I love yous. <clears throat> See, this is the thing. When we don't give because we, f- we want to give what we don't have, it's a complete misunderstanding of grace. It's a complete misunderstanding of grace. See, grace is about what God has done for us. The grace of giving, the grace of giving begins by seeing what God has already provided for us, not what we wish we had but don't. What God will require of us, He will give to us first. That's why sometimes, you know, like for our heart for the house, uh, offerings that we've taken up in years gone by, we've made it very simple. Choose what you can give. Sit down, think about it. Say, God, what would you have me to give into this particular offering? And then do that. We say there's, there's two sides to it. There's a faith pledge and there's like a, a practical pledge. You know, let's give what we can. But what would you believe God for? What would you believe God for? If you were to give into the house of God because you have a heart for the house of God, what would you believe God to bring in? And then to give that. People got, get caught up in this whole thing. Well, you know, it, I, I want to be able to do that. But... Because God hasn't brought that in, I feel guilty and so I'm going to give it. And you you place yourself under hardship. But if God hasn't given it, don't give it. Give what God has given. 
We give because of our relationship with God. It's because of God that we are able to give. God, you know, giving is relational. It's relate. It really is. Truth number four. Giving acknowledges God's faithfulness. Giving acknowledges God's faithfulness. 2 Corinthians 8, 13 to 15 says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're pressed, hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there'll be equality, as it is written. He gathered much, uh, he, he that gathered much didn't have too much, and he that gathered little didn't have too little. The thing I love about God is that he's connected us to a, an incredible body. I mean, just, just check this out. He's connected us to a, an incredible body, the body of Christ. God's faithfulness is demonstrated in a very practical way. He puts us into relationships with other believers and other churches, and there is a mutual concern for each other. We are in relationship with you. You are in relationship with us. Us. There have been times that we've been in need and you have supplied what we've needed. There have been times you have had a need and the, the wider body of Christ has, has responded to your need. There's so many one another's in the, the New Testament passages. It shows us how and why we need each other. And if you ever want to do a Bible study, do a Bible study on the one another's of the Bible. It's just an incredible uh, journey to, to go on to discover the value of why we need each other. But the thing is that a changed life that makes a difference blesses others through our giving. When we give, a spiritual blessing ripples through the entire body of Christ. It actually ripples through the entire body. When we give a testimony, the, the ripple of that blessing ripples through this entire congregation. When, when Wendy spoke about her, her testimony, about the breakthrough at her work, a ripple floods through this congregation. Because there might come a time where you suddenly are in a position where work is being threatened, work is not working out how you thought it would, and you remember the testimony that Wendy gave on the 4th of November, Sunday, at approximately 10.33 a.m. and 13 seconds, because we all know 13 is a lucky number, <laughs> that you suddenly remember that testimony and say, what God did for her, he can do for me. The ripple effect. You know, you suddenly get blessed because there's a butterfly that sneezes on the other side of the planet. It just doesn't happen. Sorry to burst your bubble. You get blessed because God releases a blessing in your life. You get blessed because you're a child of God. You are blessed because you're in relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. See, here's how this works. See, those with encouragement give, and those doing it tough receive strength. Those with a surplus car give and those who walk start to drive. See, that happened this week. I don't know if you know that, but in, in the Mount Barker Ministers Fellowship, there was a church that had a car given to it, donated to it, to be able to give to a family in need. 
someone had a surplus car and a family got a free car. That happened this week. See, I'm not talking about just things that are out there and, oh, those things never happen. Actually, they do. Uh, They do. People's lives are changed because of someone's generosity, because someone gave because of their relationship with Christ and a family's not walking anymore. See, those with the relational skills give and those who are lonely are embraced. Those with an abundance of food give and the hungry are fed. That happened this week. Families received gift packs. Packages of food went out this week across the body of Christ. Families were helped. Infused Church joins with Hope Church and both are made stronger. It's not just about one church being stronger than the other and the other one just being the recipient of everything. I've got to tell you right here, right now, that Infused Church is helping to make Hope Church stronger in some significant areas. I might preach over there. They're a lot more responsive. See, God's economy works beautifully. That's how God's economy works. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says this, and if, if you need a word from God this week, then this is your word. It says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we professed, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is... He who promised is... He who promised is, who's faithful? He who promised is, and who promised? God. Hold unswervingly. Hold unswervingly to Him to the one that we profess hope in. When we hold on to the hope that we have in God, trusting Him, we place our faith in His ability and God is always faithful. A life that's been changed makes a difference by giving generously. A life that cha- a changed life that makes a difference realizes it's not about money but about us giving ourselves. See, a a, a changed life that makes a difference demonstrates that maturity is by doing what they say. And a changed life that makes a difference acknowledges God's faithfulness. It's recognizing that He is faithful and He'll see us through. It's His word that we lean into and rely upon. Let's stand. I'm done. There are some things I felt God laid on my heart this morning to pray for. And I don't want to embarrass or um, put people under guilt or anything of that, that sort of nature this morning. That's not my heart at all. But I, I, I felt that there was probably three areas 
that I felt God just laid on my heart this morning. Number one is that we would do what the Macedonian church did, and that's just to give themselves fully, completely. In what we do and everything that we are, all that we have, all that I am, I give to God. It's not about us splitting our lives up into different segments and saying, well, I'm going to give God that this week and I'm going to give God that next week. And No, let's just give him ourselves today. I felt that that's what God wanted us to do. Some of us, and this speaks into the, uh, the, the next part of what I felt like I, I needed to pray into, that I felt I needed to, to bind a spirit of withholding and to release a spirit of generosity. And we would no longer hold on to the bits of us that we hold sacrosanct, you know, that uh, big word that I can't say properly. That We just say, God, I'm not going to operate under a spirit of withholding anymore. And maybe that's another message one day. What does a spirit of withholding do? Well, I'll only do this if you do that. See, that's a spirit of withholding. I'm only going to give to God if, God does something for me. That's the spirit of withholding. Well, I need this more than God does, even though he's spoken to us about giving to stuff. It's a spirit of withholding. This morning, I want to break a spirit of, of withholding over our lives and release a spirit of generosity, to release a spirit of faith that my hope is in God. I'm going to hold unswervingly to Him Because he who promised is faithful. And I want the third area that I just felt like I needed to pray into is to change our attitude around being generous. That it's about who we have, not what we have. Do you understand what I mean? I'm just going to do this as a blanket prayer because I don't want to, people to stick their hands, you know what your heart's like. So I'm just going to pray this as an open prayer. And how about we just lift our hands or just have our hands out open, ready to receive, ready to let go of what God wants to do this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence this morning. And first of all, our very first act is to say, Father, I am yours. I give you everything this morning. Maybe just say that to yourself under your breath. It's not, Lord, here am I, send him. It's, Lord, here am I, I'm sending me. Lord, I give you myself this morning. I offer myself to you freely, willingly, without guilt, without shame. I just give myself to you first of all. I want to give myself to you this morning. I give myself to you this morning. Secondly, Father, I bind a spirit of withholding over people's lives today in the name of Jesus. I cancel the assignment of withholding, the spirit of withholding, and I release now a spirit of generosity and openness and release and and just giving. Father, in the name of Jesus, I, I bind that spirit of withholding 
and lack and not enough. And I, I release a spirit of more than enough. I release a spirit of generosity. I re- release a spirit of giving. I release a, a spirit of uh, uh, abundance and an and overcoming power in the name of Jesus this morning. And I ask you, Father, that you help us to change our attitude around generosity because it's about you. It's a relational thing. Because we have you, we can do all that you ask because you give us what we need to give and what we need to do. If it's power and strength to do things, then you give us that ahead of time. If it's, Lord, you want us to give money or to, to, to release a resource, then, Father, I thank you that you give us that in the first place so that we can release that into the world around about us. Help us to change our attitude around being generous and about giving, Lord. It's not about getting. It's about giving. You said, Lord, in your word that it's better to give than to receive. Father, if it's better to give than to receive, help us to have a spirit of generosity. In Jesus' wonderful name this morning. Just as every head's bowed, every eye closed. I don't know where everybody is so far as Christ is this morning. Maybe, you know, you're walking without Christ and you felt like, you know what, this Jesus bloke, he seemed to have a pretty good gig. Had it all together and has so many answers, so much provision, so much that I'm looking for in my life. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. But you feel like this morning, you know what? I I think I need to do that today. If that's you, if you've never said to Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. You've never given your heart to Christ, but this morning you want to. I want you to put your hand up so I know who I'm praying for this morning. This I will ask you to respond for. Because as you put your hand up, As you open your heart to Christ, all of heaven rejoices. And we want to rejoice with you too. So is there anyone this morning, you just want to give your heart to Jesus? You just want to say, God, I want to give my life to you. And you've never done that before. Is there anyone here this morning you just want to do that? Just put your hand up nice and tall so that I can see it. Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've said to us and spoken to us in your word today. Thank you for all that you're doing in Jesus' wonderful name.